Paul uses every opportunity to speak. He meets people where they are. He doesn't assume that they will come to him, but he goes and becomes amongst them. He acclimatizes himself. He doesn't lose his faith, but he's able to go where people are, to live amongst them and to use the opportunities that exist to speak truth. So as he's talking, he takes them through that journey as well. And he speaks in the Areopagus and he says, let me tell you, I can see that you are very religious. He doesn't begin by saying, but you've got it wrong. I've come to tell you. He begins by saying, you are people who are very religious. But I've seen something. I've seen an altar that you have here to an unknown God. Now, you don't seem to know who this God is because you have said he is unknown. I'd like to tell you about God. I'd like to fill you in because I know you're desperate for knowledge. I know you want to explore this further. So let me tell you about the unknown God. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about God who sent Jesus to live amongst us. Jesus who died and who rose again, who I have met and who is the true and living God. Now, not everyone listening agreed with him. Some sneered at him because the whole idea of resurrection was to some folly. This was so way beyond what people should believe that they would disregard him. But that doesn't put him off. He doesn't get into heated argument and say, but I want to show you this. I want to prove this to you. For those who can't accept that at the moment, he lets it be. He's spoken truth and he leaves it there. But some of the others have taken an interest. They want to learn more. And so they follow him. And he will, in the, time, you know, the future times, unpack further for them what this truth is for their own lives. So this is a really important passage because it says it's really important to share the truth, the good news of Jesus, because we want everyone to know about it. We know that in our own lives. We don't want to keep this to ourselves. We want all to know that Jesus is their saviour, that God is the living God who will live with us day by day and fill us with his spirit. We long for others to know that. We struggle to know how to do it and how to go about doing that. So we can take from this passage the lesson of understanding the need to take people where they're at, to get alongside them, to understand their context, their situation, not to be um, rude about it, to criticise it, to tell them that they're wrong, but to speak into those opportunities that exist and to bring truth and light, knowing that not everyone will say, yes, I believe. But that's okay, because there will be some who will. And that we don't need to defend in a heated debate sort of way the truths of our faith. Understanding people's context, allowing them to be who they are, taking them for who they are and speaking in whether an opportunity arises is a lesson for how we might think about mission in its wider sense. I've asked Guy to come and speak because Guy told me a story a few weeks ago. And this for me is a really... A really powerful example of being open to opportunities and taking people where they are. Guy. Well, to me, it's not, not that grand, but uh, <laughs> uh, last year at New Wine, um, I, I listened to a talk, and in that talk it said, is your Christian faith, is your Christian journey safely in the harbour, or have you set sail yet? 
and it was something that struck a chord with me because I thought, yeah, no, I'm safely in the harbour and um, I don't have to tell anyone and, and, and the harbour is here with you, so it's really easy. But uh, after New Wine, I decided that I would leave the harbour and I would take every opportunity, even if it was a bit embarrassing or not very cool, um, to tell people that I was a Christian. And uh, a few weeks later, I met... I'm, one of the uh, cleaning businesses I'm responsible for is a window cleaning business up in Glasgow. And uh, it's run by a chap called Owen. And Owen is a real scallywag. <laughs> he is, um, he's got a heart of gold, but he's a real scallywag. He, he, he's a practical joker. He teases people to the point of upsetting them. Uh, he gets pleasure out of that. Um, he's quite a lot like a lot of Glaswegians that I've met. And um, we went out for dinner, and we went to a very good curry house called the Shish Mahal in Glasgow. And uh, we sat down, and as we were talking, out of the blue, he said, um, he said of course, all the, all the ills of the world are caused by religion and, and God. And, uh, and I thought, oh, I thought oh, I've got to accept the challenge. So I said, uh, I said well, that's not, not the God I pray to is not responsible for that. And he said, oh, you, you, you pray, do you? And I went, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian. And he said, um, you know, I pray every night. And he is the last person that I would have expected to have said that. And it confounded me a little bit. And I, I thought, okay. So I said, Owen, do you, what, what do you pray? And he recited, word perfect, almost the, the prayer I had when I was a child, which was a list of names. So, dear God, please bless. And then a list of names of friends and family. And then, keep them safe tonight. Amen. And I went, right, and you play, pray that every night? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you know who you're praying to? And I thought, oh dear, that sounds a bit self-righteous. So. <laughs> and I said, why, why are you praying that? And he said, I don't know. And he said, I don't, I don't know who I'm praying to, but I, I pray it every night. And religiously, he prayed it every night. And I, again, internally, I'm saying a prayer to myself going, dear God, help me, give me the right words here. I know this is important. And, and uh, so I said, well, God is you know, want a personal relationship with everybody. Um, and perhaps you might want to pray something else that engages more with God. Um, so perhaps uh, confess to your sins and ask him to come into your life and make him the centre of your life. And uh, I, I, you know, at any moment I was expecting the, ah, uh, oh, gotcha. Um, but he didn't. And he said, okay, then give, give, give me the prayer I've got to pray. And I could, to be honest, I can't even remember what words I gave him. It was a bit of a blur, but I sort of came up with some, something. Um, but I gave him some words to pray that night. And then um, the conversation ended. And he went away and I followed it up subsequently. And he did, he did pray the prayer. Um, so I now pray for him that it will have some impact. Thank you. <laughs> Guy, thank you. I think that is powerful, although Guy says it wasn't very much. I mean, you're out of your comfort zone in Glasgow before you even start. <laughs> but to actually take a risk 
not knowing how someone is going to respond, but allowing him to be who he was, not to ridicule his prayer. I think that is a huge lesson. We pray for opportunities like that, but sometimes when they come before us, it's the most terrifying experience because we might get it wrong. But God is in those and taking people where they are. God can use those moments powerfully. Guy, thank you so much for sharing. We're going to sing All Who Are Thirsty because I believe that there is a deep hunger and a deep thirst for people to meet Jesus. So at the heart of who we are, the heart of who we are as individuals and the heart of who we are as a church, there should lie a deep desire that others might come to know the truth that we know. There is a hunger, there is a thirst. People are desperately searching for meaning, for truth, for God. They may not know that that is who they're looking for. But we only need to open our newspapers, we only need to talk to our neighbours to realise the deep hunger that exists. And people are looking in the wrong places. You have people who are trying all sorts of things, trying to find the thing that is going to make the difference in their lives. And we know that only God can make that difference. So as we are seeking God and asking him, what are you calling us to at the moment? Where would you have us build ministries? Where would you have us deepen the work that we are doing? I believe that God is saying, mission must be key to this. A deep desire for others to come to know that Jesus is Lord must be rooted in everything that we do. The question is then how? How do we go about doing that? And where is God saying, here's where I want you to do some more work. Here's where I am already working. Last week, we took a snapshot of where we believe God was working amongst us and the things that he has been doing amongst us and the markers that are saying, here is something important. Here is something that I am doing and here is something that I would like you to build on. Seek me and I will show you how. Because we get stuck. We're a bit like how I'm sure Guy felt sitting opposite the guy at the table thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do now? We see the need around us. And we're almost paralysed and thinking, what do we do? And actually, God will show us what to do because he is doing the work. It is he who is speaking to people. He is calling them. He's just making... They know that they're hungry because he is showing them that. And if we listen to him, he'll show us the ways in which we might be able to deepen more our outreach, our desire for others to come to know him. There's two areas that I want to talk about particularly this morning, and not with answers, because that's not what this term is about. It's about more questions. It's about questions that I think we need to be taking to God and saying, here are the questions, would you show us what the answers are? And we might not have all the right questions, but sometimes asking lots of questions is able to to pinpoint more of, of what the true questions really are. So I want to pose some questions today. And there are around two areas, and they relate to the parish news that the eagle-eyed and those who were here early will have already seen. Two areas are children's and families' work and our overseas mission support, our partnership, and how we grow with that. Two amazingly important ministries in the life of our church that, that are both facing change. And whenever there is change... It's good to stop, even if we weren't doing this vision term. When there is change, we need to stop and say, what is God now saying? 
In our family and children's work, if you've read the parish news, you'll see that Nikki has come to a point of recognising that um, it's time to retire and is going to be retiring at the end of August. Very graciously, she's given us lots of warning of this, which is really kind because it does give us an opportunity to stop and think, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? What does it mean for her? Please pray for Nikki, because this will be a big change in her life. And we can pray for her that God will show her what this new phase of life will mean for her. But Nikki's held this work amazingly, loyally, beautifully, with massive dedication and has grown a ministry since she took it on, and I can't remember how many years ago. And it will seem to us, how on earth can we go on when Nikki's no longer part leading that ministry area? And we could feel quite paralysed and think, we can't imagine what it could be like without Nikki being there. And there'll be a huge loss. And things won't be done as they have been done because Nikki's Nikki and there won't be another person just like Nikki. But what we do have is the opportunity to say, God, there is a change here. We believe it's your timing. Nikki believes it's God's timing. So what are you saying to us now? What are you saying about how we might move forward in this vital area of ministry? And I want us to step further back. Not do we replace Nikki, because that is a question, but I think it's one of the final questions. I think the questions we need to be looking at are what is God doing amongst our families and children? And if you remember last week, this is one of the areas that I believe God has really been building up. We can see numerically how many more children we now have, how many more families are now attending regularly our Sunday worship. Our church family has more families in it than it did before. So we have a need to nurture the young of our church family, that they will grow in faith and come to have a strong faith for themselves. That is vital. And how do we continue to do that? How do we continue to nurture our teenagers? And I think this is a huge challenge. Last week I said that when I arrived, we didn't really have a 14 to 18-year-old age group. Just demographically, that was a group that was missing. Now we do. U-Turn has re-established. Jane and Brian have a really strong group of 16-year-olds at the moment. Year, we have a group waiting to move up. They're desperate, they want to go now. But, you know, they turned the right age in September. But we'll have a much bigger U-turn youth group in September. That is amazing. To have teenagers who want to come and be part of a church, who want to share with each other, have fellowship with one another, to be asking questions about faith. What a joy that is. And we should celebrate with that. But we should also take seriously the need to to be thinking very carefully about how we resource that ministry. Jane and Brian do an immense work with them. But as that grows, that's not enough people. And teenagers are facing a lot of struggles in life. It's the age where they're asking all sorts of questions, where there's immense pressures on them at school. And in this area, they're pushed in a whole lot of different directions. So what is God saying to us about our future youth work? I'm not answering that with saying we need a youth worker. I'm saying we need to ask the question. The question is, we have young people. We have young people who want to know Jesus. How can we ensure that they come to know him more? One question. Our children, how do we continue to nurture them and build them? 
And what about this growing and increasing youth work that is, has been there in the past, but for now is a new burgeoning thing? What is God saying to us about that? There's another question. And the other question is about the families that we have contact with. I've said that our church attendance, now there are more families who are part of us regularly. But we also have occasions where we, we touch families who don't come regularly. And there are moments through the church year where that happens. And if you think back to our services, and there are so many families who come at Christmas time, who come at harvest. Remembrance Sunday, we had lots of people from the village who came here. Being a church, we have contact with people. We have contact with people through Chatterbox. We are meeting people. We're meeting them where they are, which is good. Our Acts passage told us to do that. But then what about the next stage? How do we help them? They've expressed interest, but how do we help that interest to be deepened and to be developed more? What could we be doing to get more in touch with these families who we know but are not fully part of us yet? And then the next question, what about the families that we don't know? What about we have no contact with? There's more and more of them moving into the village. It's a growth area in the village, and therefore that should be reflected in what we're doing as a church. So we might need to be thinking about what do families need? If we really want to be open to families, do we need some after-school clubs, some after-school activities where we can begin to act? Does Sunday morning at 10 work for all families? I don't know. We at least need to explore that. Do we need to be thinking about different ways of having church for some families? These are all questions we need to be open to as we seek God. What I do see is God bringing us families. I also see a change. A change in that Nikki won't be heading that up. So there's a very big question. This is a vital ministry. How will it be held in the years to come? And what will that task look like? And what sort of person or people will we need to be able to take that forward? These are really, really big questions. And I'm really grateful to Nikki for for giving us this time, whereas a church, we can think that through. We're not going to rush because we want to make the right response to honour the ministry that has been there for so long so that we can pass the mantle on. I don't know what that will look like. I have some thoughts and ideas. But let's, over this term, seek God on our reaching out to families, to children, to young people, and to the adults, to their parents, There's a whole lot there because they need nurturing and bringing into the fold as well. What is God saying to us for that? That'd be enough for a time. I'm going to add in another one as well, along with all the other things that we're thinking about. I wanted to think about our response to mission partners and work that is happening elsewhere around the world. And again, there are other changes. And if you've read the parish news, you'll see that there amongst the team that have been coordinating our partnerships. Please pray that as we build a, a, a new team with some people remaining, but as we invite more people to join that team for the next phase, that God will show us who those people are, that God will speak to individuals, and people will know that this is something that God is calling them to, to take us forward to the next stage. In September, Andy Wheeler came and spoke about mission partnerships. And helped us to think about how we might deepen our understanding of what partnership is. 
Because we are not out in Japan. We're not there, but Gareth is. We're not in the Sudan, but Festus is. What does it mean for us to understand the context of taking people where they are when we are removed? How might we understand more of what our mission partners are doing so that we do have that understanding and can be supporting them in a very real way? What does it mean for the church in South Sudan that Festus might be part of to know about us so that we know that there are people in in South Sudan praying for us as much as we are praying for them? I think there's a lot of work that we could begin to to look at in, in making sure that as a church we are fully behind our mission partnerships. They are vital. They are strong. They go back many years, many of them. What is God saying to us about new partnerships? How do we develop new ones? What does that look like? How do we make sure that some of our existing partners are still the correct ones to be doing? Lots of questions around how we coordinate and manage our mission partnerships. How do we make sure we're being generous enough that we are financially supporting in the way that we want to people who, on our behalf, as it were, because we can't all be in Africa, but others have been called to do that. How are we financially supporting them in a really good way so that it makes a difference and that they can do the work that they're being called to do? There are two areas that I think God, again, is speaking to us about, that he seems to be doing some work amongst us. And one is overseas and one is at home. The first one is the trip to Uganda that happened in November. If you want to hear more about that, come back this evening. But that seemed to be a really important aspect of our church life, not least because five members of our church went and saw at first hand. So what is God saying about that? Is that a new mission partnership? We need to explore that and find out what that might mean. And how do we keep that going so that it becomes alive and real and not just something that only five people have done, but we all own it and we all share it if that is what God is asking of us. And there's a journey to take place there. But it seems that that came from nowhere. It wasn't planned. That was something that we felt God asking people to do was to go out So I would imagine that he's saying this is something for the future, for the life of the church. What does that mean? What will that look like? The other one is closer to home, and that's footsteps. And I hadn't realized, actually, that in the notice sheet we've actually got a letter from the treasurer of footsteps. And footsteps is the the group that on a Sunday evening feeds homeless people in Guildford. They meet in a centre, which for the rest of the week is staffed by the district council. But on a Sunday, they don't meet, and so this group Footsteps moves in instead because it's a day when there isn't that provision for the homeless. And so Footsteps goes in, opens up the centre, and offers food to the homeless. We support generously and have done over the last few years. Again, it hasn't really been planned. It's been an extra offering. We now have, I think it's six people from our church who volunteer there. That is meeting people where they are on our doorstep. So what is God saying to us about our partnership with footsteps? I think that sits there as well. These are two that I've seen God moving unexpectedly over the last few months. Are there others? Are there other areas that God is saying, I would like you to move into this. I'd like you to think about this. The whole way that we meet people where they are 
How do we use our buildings, our facilities? How do we look outwards as well as wanting to nurture and care for those who belong to the church family? But always having that outside perspective of meeting people where they are so that others can meet Jesus. That's a lot of questions. And I hope your heads are full of it. Because I want us to wrestle with some of these things. Because I think when we wrestle, when we actually tussle with things, when the, when the answer isn't always easy, we have to trust God much, much more. Both our children's work and our OMST, these are big things with change. What is God saying to us? Let's tussle with God and hear what he is saying. But let's make sure that we are actively seeking to meet people where they are. To give you a little bit of space before we we move on and our children will come back quite soon, we're going to watch just a short video clip. It is Africa, but it's Tim Hughes singing God of Justice. Because there's something about meeting God, meeting people where they are, about actually understanding their needs. Yes, we want to tell them about Jesus, but we've got to meet them where they truly are. And Tear Fund does that. And this is a, a video made by Tear Fund, which shows people being met where they are and experiencing the love of God through that. So this is time for you to, to watch, but also just to let those questions resonate, not to come up with answers, but to at least remember the questions so that when you go home, you can be praying and asking over the coming weeks what God is saying.